Hello, my friends. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. This is episode 311. On Saturday of this week, I sat down at a Burger King and I did a short video and I put it on Facebook and I was talking about the murders that happened in Atlanta this previous week. And then when I played the uh, video back, I noticed that there was a lot of background noise in the video. And actually, I knew it at the time, but I didn't realize how loud it was. And I had just finished meeting with a friend of mine. We met for a couple of hours and just talked about life and so forth. And I thought, well, while I'm here, I'll just pop out a quick video because this, what happened this past week, this horrific event uh, where a gentleman uh, went into a massage parlor and uh, killed eight people. And I've been thinking about that, as many of you have as well. And I thought, well, because this is what we do, people ask us so many questions about what is going on in the culture and, you know, what is your perspective on it from a biblical perspective? And and I thought, well, I'll just put together a, a video. And so I did to serve our community. And then when I played it back, I realized, well, one, it was rush hour in Burger King, which meant there were at least six or seven people in there and they were loud. And so I thought, you know, I think it would be better not just to put this in a podcast, but to spend more time than those six or seven minutes that I devoted to that video uh, talking about this idea, because this is a big deal. For those of you who listened to the last podcast, it was episode 310, and I was answering a question from a friend who was asking me about the cancel culture. And these are the questions that we are receiving more and more and have been for the past several years, because the culture as it, it, it doesn't ride in the background anymore. The culture is the forefront. In fact, the culture drives everything, as some people like to say, that even our politics is downstream of culture. Culture drives our lives. And the Christian community is, is really has been awakened over the past several years about what is going on in the culture. And, and many of them are scrambling, trying to think through how to respond to the culture, which is what I was devoting to in the last podcast as far as the cancel culture. And then many of other of our brothers and sisters are very much afraid of what is going on. And I'm one of those too. And I have to guard my heart regularly, guard my mind that I don't succumb to fear to where it dominates my thinking. And ultimately it will debilitate whatever we're supposed to be doing uh, in God's world. Well, this event that happened uh, last week, again, the man went into a massage parlor. He killed uh, eight people. Six of them were of Asian. Were the, there were six females, at least, and they were of Asian descent. And you know what happened. I mean, our cult, I mean, you know what happened as far as a cultural spin, as far as how the, the news anchors uh, prop this thing up. And, and they immediately stamped it with racism, that this was a, an act of racism. And that's what I was talking about on the loud, distracting video that I did and, and put on Facebook. So I want to talk about that here. And so I've titled this episode, episode 311, and it's racism is not the most plausible way to think about the Atlanta murders with the information that we have at this point, and just working with the information that we have at this juncture, racism is not 
the most plausible way to think about the Atlanta murders. And so I want to make my case based on that presupposition. And again, if you want to talk to me about this, please, uh, we have free community forums where you can jump on. Just get your username and password and, and jump on and say, hey, I want to talk to you about uh, this podcast you did, episode 311, about the Atlanta murders, or anything else that you want to talk about. For those of you who support our ministry, we have private forums for you, and I want you to go to the private forums because that's a smaller community, and I know many of you prefer that. And even though we give all of our resources away, we, we give our content away, we have maintained the private forums at request because our supporting members have said that we would like our own smaller place to be able to talk about things that are important to us. And so those of you who do support us, you underwrite this ministry, I, I do want you to know that you do have that private forum, and, and the plan is to always keep it there for you. But for any of you that want to talk about anything that's on your heart that you would like our take of a biblical perspective. I am not saying that our way is the final answer, but it is definitely my take. And if you're interested, as many of you are, I would be glad to share that with you. And so uh, the way that you talk to me and the way that you talk to us would be uh, on our forums. As many of you know, we cannot interact with you on Facebook or other social media platforms. It's not because we don't want to. It's not because we are purposely trying to be rude. Uh, it's because we just don't have the human resources to do it. We are a small team of people. It takes a lot of money to do what we do, and we just don't have the finances to be able to have all the peripherals that we would love to have, but we operate within what we do have, and I think that we steward it wisely, and I, I do believe God is pleased with how we, we do that. And so this is episode 311. Racism is not the most plausible way to uh, think about the Atlanta murders, and so I want to make my case. Unfortunately, uh, what happens within our culture uh, too many times is that every event, and, and really there's a specific kind of event. The event is always initiated by a white person. And so if there's a horrific event initiated by a white person on, on a victim, then it's automatically labeled with racism. And you would be hard-pressed to find any evil situation, uh, any evil act that happens that is perpetrated by a white person where it's not called racism. In fact, it would be an interesting study if someone would do that. Uh, like over the past, let's say, five years, if you could collect all the evil acts that were perpetrated by a white person, how many times was it not called an act of racism? And I don't think there's any question, and I think you already know the answer, that the overwhelming majority, if not every one of those events, would be uh, already determined as an act of racism. And that is really unfortunate because it creates a narrative that after a while, people, and people are already disbelieving it. And one of the unfortunate things is, is that when there is an actual act of racism, when it really is an act of racism, oh, then it kind of gets lost because every act is racism. 
And it is an outsized uh, accusation that's made against the sin of white people. And that is really unfortunate. And I do believe at this juncture with the data that we have for what happened in Atlanta, uh, that this is not the way to talk about what actually happened. Let me give you an illustration. Just in the same week, this past week in Rochester, New York, uh, two black teenagers went into a home of a mentally ill white person and they doused him with uh, some kind of fluid. I don't remember which one. And then they set him afire. And then he later succumbed and he died in the hospital. When you read that story, it actually it was put out that when you share this story, they did not want you to share the race of the people who killed this white person in his home by setting him afire. Those two people that killed him were black. I would not say immediately that these two teenagers murdered that gentleman because of racism. I would not say that. And the reason I would not say that is because I don't know. And it would be unfair. It would be irresponsible on my part to say that these two black kids burned this guy to death because they were racist. That would be irresponsible on my part. Now, one of the reasons it's irresponsible is because racism happens or, or starts, generates in the heart. Racism, racism generates in the heart, but our culture doesn't have that kind of biblical psychology as far as understanding how behaviors happen. And they don't factor in intent, or more specifically, they don't factor in intent when a white person does an evil act. They don't factor it in with wisdom. They automatically factor in racism as the intent. Now, it could come out in the future that the two kids in Rochester, New York, did those acts because they are racist, that they hate white people. Okay, so be it. Then you will know that upon further investigation as you talk with these two kids. And the same thing for the young man in Atlanta who went in and killed these eight people. It could come out in the future that... Uh, he says that I am a racist and the reason that I went in there is because I hate Asian people and so I've, I found some Asian people and, and I killed them and it was an act of racism and that would be clear and I would not argue the point. At least we would know. But to say it is racism as soon as you hear of the event, it's not just irresponsible. I mean, what it does is that it communicates a message that undiscerning people will hear, or it will communicate a message that people want to hear, so, so that it, it is affirming. And then people go off half-cocked, and they communicate this in their various news outlets or water coolers around the country that uh, this person, this white guy, is just racist. It's another act of racism. But then you see the irregularity of it when two kids, uh, black kids, burn a white guy to death, and you can't find a blip 
of it on the newscast and that on any newscast and even you find out through the initial investigation that uh, people were asked to censor the aspect, the race of the two kids who did it. And so there is no question that there is this there's this uh, nefarious narrative that is being put forth into the public square so that people will be very clear on what is going on according to, quite honestly, a wicked presupposition. We do not know if the gentleman who murdered those people is a racist. We absolutely, at this point, do not know. Because what you're talking about is the motive of the heart. Racism is not a behavior, and that's what's happening in our culture. People look at the behavior, they call it racism. That is not how you diagnose any problem. If you look at any event, good or bad, and you can automatically discern and attribute motive to what you just saw, well, then you're on godlike status. I mean, you have um, almost, if not, omniscience. Only God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only God sees the heart and knows exactly what is going on. And so nobody in their right mind would look at a behavior and automatically connect that to an intent or a motive of the heart. And so to say that this person is a racist, as soon as you hear the event and the news is around the Twitter sphere and everywhere else in a moment that an, another act of racism has happened in Atlanta. How do we know this? Because a white guy went in and killed people who aren't white. That is, it's not just insane. I mean, that is nefarious. It's people with an evil agenda. And, and some of this, not just an evil agenda, some of this is just ignorance. For those who, who take that and run with it out of ignorance, they might not have a, an evil uh, intent with what they are doing. They're just ignorant. And that's why I want to do this podcast, because I don't want, I don't want us to make that error. Every black person is not how some people categorize black person uh, black people as uh, having evil intent because they are black and i know that happens white people do that all the time and that does happen you look at a black person and you automatically upload uh, who this person is based on the color of their skin that is another way that this happens and that is evil too now as far as the facts that we understand with this gentleman in Atlanta, he has clearly stated that he has a sexual addiction. And because he struggles, he's a uh, historical sex addict for whatever reason, and, 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 and sin has captured him. This is what we would see in Galatians 6.1 and Galatians 6.2. In Galatians 6.1, it talks about a person being caught by sin, a good synonym for caught by sin, to use Paul's language of caught, a synonym would be addiction. We have a person that sin has captured his heart. He is 
addicted. In this case, he is addicted to sex and, and pornography and lust and, and the word cloud that surrounds this idea of sexual addiction. He has been to that massage parlor, which is, by the way, more than just a massage parlor. It is a person where a person where an individual who wants to uh, have a sexual encounter with someone that you can have a sexual encounter with someone at this particular massage parlor. And so those two things that, that we know. And so you have a person with a sexual addiction who uh, knows that he can go to a, a, a particular establishment and, and he can be serviced according to his addiction. And then you throw in religion. A few years ago, he, I, I, I don't know, I mean, got saved, he became a Christian, he was regenerated, I don't know. Uh, but religion is in the mix. And so now you have a person who is addicted to sex. He has an avenue to act out sex. And then he has this morality, whether it's genuine or not. But one thing you, you can surmise accurately, that he wants to escape. He doesn't want to be in this addictive state forever. And a lot of times people who are struggling with whatever the issues are, you know, the plane is going down. And so they, they cry out for God. Oh, God, will you save me? This is what happens to many of us when we feel like we are at the end of our rope. We, our innate God awareness kicks in. As you read in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it talks about a pagan people, a dark culture that doesn't know the Bible, but yet they do the things that are contained in the Bible. And one of the things that Paul is teaching there in Romans 2 is that we have an, an internal moral thermostat. Everybody has a conscience. Everybody has an internal morality that signals to us between right and wrong. And so you have a person who is doing evil things. His internal morality is telling him that you should not do these things. Eventually, it kicks up a notch or two, and he starts participating in, in a local church. And so now his morality is intensified. And so the war within him uh, is at a higher level, level and more extreme than it's ever been before. And so he has this battle in his soul between right and wrong, good and evil, light and darkness, and he goes back and forth. And as he wrestles internally with this conflict between evil and morality, he chooses to do what is, what is common. I'm not talking about murdering people, uh, but I'm talking about a normal reaction to get rid of things that tempt us. Let me put it in another framework. If, a, if, a, if an individual was addicted to alcohol, for example, what would he do? What, what would be one of the things that he would do? Uh, well, he would pour his alcohol down the drain. Uh, he would get rid of his alcohol. He would purge his home of alcohol because it's a source of temptation to him. Now, that doesn't work. I mean, that is a partial solution, according to Matthew 5.30, where if your hand offends you, you cut it off. Your high offends you, you pluck it out. But that's what any of us would do. If we had anything in our home, and our life, and we were convicted by it, we would get rid of it. That's normal. 
I remember one time in New York City where I was witnessing to an individual over uh, probably a couple of hours, and then eventually he came to our, our church meeting on Wednesday night, and I had a, a later conversation with him, and and as we were talking, he said that he was convicted over his alcohol, and so before he came to the church meeting, he took all of his alcohol and poured it down the drain. That's normal. That's what you would do. That's what I would do. And so you have this immature, twisted individual who is perverted in a sexual addiction. And now he has this conscience, this internal morality that's amped up by religion. And I'm not making a commentary on his religion. Uh, That would also be be, uh, premature and speculative. But I just know that he... Uh, has had inclinations to God in the Bible and and doing right, whether the church you know teaches right and all of that. I I would have no clue and and I, I would not. It would be unfair and uh, presumptive and arrogant for me to even speculate. But I do know that he had a religious bend, and so he thought like any of us would think that if if something is evil and and I need to stop doing it. I need to begin to eliminate those things that are tempting to me. Now, unfortunately, in his ignorance and in his twisted, darkened perversion, in his confusion, he did one of the worst things that, well, it is the worst thing that a human can ever do to another human. With all those things considered, the most plausible way to think about what happened in Atlanta with this guy is that you had a twisted, addicted, perverted person with an immature, embryonic morality who was trying to escape an addiction and in his stupidity and dark and twisted thinking he went to a, his, a massage parlor, and he acted out the worst kind of crime that you could ever act out on another person. In my view, that is the most plausible way to think about what happened in Atlanta. It could be uh, maybe this week, maybe in the coming years, uh, that he says, yes, I was a, a sex addict, but that's not really what was going on. I mean, I wasn't trying to stop being a sex addict. I actually enjoyed it. But the real truth is, is I just hate Asians. I'm a racist. That could be. And if that is, at least you would know uh, how to help the person if he's not executed, which I think he should be executed. But that's another story. But if he lives long enough and more truth comes out, and the real story is that he is a, a racist, Then, and if there's a possibility of helping such a person as that, then you would want to try to rehabilitate and help a person according to the legitimacy of who they are and the problem that they have. But on the face of it, as it stands today, to attribute racism to this guy, uh, it's not just unfair, it's beyond that. It is irresponsible. It is immature. It is ignorant. And it also just 
it, it perpetuates something that doesn't help with a legitimate problem that we have in our culture. And my call to you and my appeal to me is that we need to be more responsible than this. We don't need to perpetuate. We need to perpetuate things that, that don't help but hinder uh, they convolute the situation, complicate manners, and they keep us. It just creates obstacles from getting at the real truth. And so whether it's, I mean, this is one of the most dramatic iterations of what I'm communicating here that, that you'll ever encounter. And it, it's horrifically unfortunate. And I, I can just feel the sorrow of the people who are related to all the ones who were killed because I have walked down that path I buried two of my brothers who were murdered, one in 87, one in the other one in 1997. And I know what it's like to walk down that path. And and this is just an unbelievably painful, final event where there is no recall or recourse. And and it, it, it just weighs heavy on your soul. And there's some elements of it that you, you never uh, extricate yourself from. It, it, it is that deep in your soul, and it never goes away. And the pain that the relatives of these victims are going through, it's, it's just hard to imagine. But you definitely want to pray for them and for those of you who are able uh, to do anything for them, for those who know them, to come alongside them and, and be able to help them in this time of, of crisis and grief and darkness that has been forced upon them. But one of the things that we don't want to do as we talk about it is put forth what could very well be a myth. Minimally at this point, uh, it is premature because that does complicate matters. And so when you see people or see events and things that happen, may, may my appeal be to you that you, you stop, you pause, you give consideration, you think beyond the surface of what you are observing, because all uh, sin, all goodness, all words, all attitudes, all actions, they come from our heart. They generate from the heart. And you cannot see that. And you cannot know that without investigating, without asking questions, without coming along the person beside the person trying to understand. And he has been somewhat forthcoming at this point. And honestly, there is no reason to doubt uh, what he is saying. That this is a person addicted to sin. Uh, he, as he was wrestling through it in his own perverted, dark, twisted, futile way, uh, he, he did something that is not a solution and it, it is just the most horrendous thing that could be ever acted out. This is episode 311. The title of it is Racism is Not the Most Plausible Way to Think About the Atlanta Murders. There is a time and there is a place to think about racism. Uh, it is something that happens. But I'll be, uh, be honest, and there are racists. There's no question about it. There's racists all over the world. There's black people who truly disdain white people and white people who disdain uh, black people and and Asians who don't like other people groups and and Indians who don't like other people groups etc but one of the big mistakes that we're making in our culture today is that there's two one every act every evil act perpetrated from a white person to usually a black person but in this case Asian 
any, any person that's not white, it's automatically stamped as, as racism. And then the other is there is a singularity to the attachment of racism. As I illustrated, like with the two kids who burned that gentleman to death, why does it have to, why does the color matter? Why can't it just be a hate crime? Why can't it just be an evil act on one image bearer, on another image bearer? Why can't it just be that? That's what it is. But we want to pick one thing out of the pile of possibilities, and that one thing, if a white person does it, is almost always racism. And so I trust that as you interact in events that are not on any le- near anything on this level, or maybe have nothing to do with color on color, but just as you judge people for what they do, uh, when you see something that you don't like, that you look at it intelligently, you look at it patiently, meaning that you slow your mind down, that you are quick to hear, quick to observe, and slow to speak, and that you're operating with a bibliocentric mindset, the purest psychology that there is anywhere in the world, as odd as it may sound, for some people is in the Bible. If you would like to talk about this or perhaps there's something else that's on your mind, please come to our forums and let's talk. For those of you who aren't supporting our ministry, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Go to our free free forums. For those of you who do support, you know where to go. Thank you. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.